0: Welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch, and this is a podcast of conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Corey Acklin. She's a clinical psychologist and founder and director of Sydney Phobia Clinic. She has a background in severe anxiety and OCD. And is a registered supervisor and guest lecturer in the area of severe anxiety, phobias and behavioral and virtual reality treatment for anxiety. The Sydney Phobia Clinic is combining the best evidence-based cognitive behavioral therapy techniques with cutting-edge virtual reality experiences to help everyday people overcome specific phobias. Hey, Corrie, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, thank you. Lovely to talk to you today.
0: Yeah, good to see you, albeit virtually, um, and, and you are in Sydney too, so it's, yes. it's good to be able to connect and have a chat, so and I've been meaning to connect with you for a while on the show and, and talk all around something very common to everybody around phobias and the use of innovative technology and just cool tech to be able to address that, so let, let's dig in and, and learn a bit more about it. Firstly, about the Sydney Phobia Clinic, what is it, who's it for, and what problem does it solve?
1: We are a private practice, a private psychology practice. 80% we do phobias. We actually do see a little bit of other things that, that trickle through. But the clinic itself is designed just for phobia sufferers. And that allows us to resource really specifically. And the treatment for phobias, as I'm sure we'll get into, does require a whole bunch of really exciting, but also just very specific resources. So opening a clinic specifically for specific phobias justified big spends and continual uh, resourcing that helps their clients get the best treatment.
0: Yeah, okay, cool. And, And so normally, what would people be doing to be able to address phobias before going to a specific phobia clinic?
1: So it is a very straightforward psychological presentation to treat. And so generally speaking, we would go to Any psychologist. um, It's definitely within the wheelhouse of any psychologist, any anxiety psychologist, particularly. But then when it comes to the really important part of treatment, be it the exposure therapy, where we are hoping that that client is able to gradually put themselves into challenging positions, Mm -hmm. expose themselves to things that they had previously gone out of their way to avoid. It was often beyond the scope of what could be done in a normal private practice. And so the burden of that very often fell on the client to go out and do these things as homework. But, you know, again, if this is something that you've avoided for so long and is very anxiety provoking for you, how successful are you going to be and how motivated are you going to be kind of left on there on your own without the support that you otherwise get designing that and discussing that in session. So we just wanted to make sure that we were able to do as much of that in the therapeutic environment. Um, And that requires, as I said, getting those resources in-house.
0: Yeah, because totally, if I was, say, super anxious about spiders, for example, then I came and saw you and you said, all right, sick, go out and touch some spiders, then come back. I'd be like, yeah, okay, I'm not going to see you again. (laughs) Right. So like, yeah, totally, I can understand the, the importance of the exposure therapy. So how do you go about it then at the Sydney Phobia Clinic?
1: In the clinic, we have a manualized program for phobias. So the very first thing that we're doing is getting on the same page with the anxiety development and maintenance cycle and just getting the client on board with why this treatment, which may actually be scary to anticipate, is so effective, why it works, what that rationale is, and just get that readiness to undertake it. And then we're working on some psychological strategies that we can keep in the back pocket if we need to, things like physiological management for the the body symptoms that come up, as well as understanding from a cognitive point of view what fear is actually based on and what might be the facts, evidence and other perspectives that we can draw upon to correct those what are usually irrational considerations around these things. And then we design that exposure plan. And that's a little bit different for everyone. There are some staples that we would see, uh, usually with the particular phobias, but it is otherwise a tailored plan depending on what the individual's concern is, where they're at, And what their goals are. And then we begin to target that. And so, if we use the spider example, which is a great example, we might start with cartoon pictures and then move up to real Mm -hmm. photos. And this might even start with, you know, some garden spiders, not going straight into the huntsman's, which are usually Mm -hmm. the biggest spider of concern. Then we might look at, you know, some toys and then we might go into videos. And then we would actually integrate the virtual reality, which has been the game changer here for us and allowed us. to be bringing in such a valuable practice in a very brief treatment and then what we would hope is that we can generalize that into a real life exposure and i am the proud owner of our four pet spiders so we <laughs> we <laughs> bring some of those in and, and see how we go from there
0: yeah excellent i want to go into the vr component and tick and probably a few other points that you raised then but just to step back one about yourself cory tell me a bit more about you specifically and how this whole concept has come about
1: Yeah. So as you mentioned, my background is in severe anxiety. I've worked in severe anxiety right from, you know, as a fresh graduate and uh, all the way through. So coming up to nine years now working just with severe anxieties. And it really does emphasize the importance of that practice component, that exposure component, which, as I said, in a normal private practice, when you're chopping and changing between a whole bunch of different psychological presentations, it's just not practical to do. So, you know, I would be seeing an OCD client from nine till 10, then some with panic disorder 10 to 11 and then someone whose mood was probably the biggest concern and then as it goes on before I see a phobia and they might not maybe I would have a phobia maybe one phobia client on the books at any particular time but then I started working with Flat Experience Sydney uh, working on fear of flying programs and doing the exposure component in their flight simulator which was amazing. It's such an amazing opportunity for exposure practice. And what I was able to see there was that clients that had been really severely impacted by their fear of flying and maybe avoiding for some 30 years and missing huge life events were actually getting improvements within a really brief amount of time. We're talking like four or five sessions because of this amazing exposure opportunity for them, which generalized so well towards that real life Uh, situation of getting on a plane it was then that I kind of started playing around with the idea of you know what if we could do the same kind of program for all of the phobias and virtual reality came in there as the way to do that but as I said it required a whole different model it required a whole different practice and so the Sydney Phobia Clinic was born.
0: And so is there any particular themes or like is the spider one a regular occurrence or are there regular like the most common phobias that people would come and visit your clinic about or is it a bit varied? It does
1: vary quite widely. There are staples that we get through the clinic so needle phobia, uh, vomit phobia, claustrophobia, fear of flying used to be 50% of our client load but covid Uh, so those clients are sitting pretty at the moment we always get a lot of public speaking anxiety come through and then the animal phobias are you know yeah spiders but we get a lot of bird phobia through and dog phobia too
0: got it got it and so exposure therapy it works that's cool and so that as you've explained it's kind of like put yourself in that situation if that's an area of concern for you what's the i guess the science behind it or why is that so effective over a longer period of time
1: Yes, if we look at the development of a phobia, what we're seeing is that the brain has laid down what we call some funky learning in this space where it has learned that certain things are dangerous and they need to be avoided. They need to be escaped from or just avoided outright. And so what we need to do in terms of the exposure is actually relearn around these situations or around these particular objects or animals um, that actually these things aren't dangerous at all and we're not going to be able to learn that through continued avoidance. We actually need to be in the space of that thing, um, in that situation for the brain to go, oh, huh, okay, this isn't actually going to hurt me at all. I can cope with this just fine. And then we need to get that over and over and over again to build up some confidence in that new learning pathway. And so exposure therapy is purely designed on that basis, but then has this often gradual approach to make it easier to start with and build up something more difficult. It essentially becomes what I like to call a bit of a couch to 5K plan around feared situations and so yeah the exposure just generally comes in around that
0: got it and so you talked about how the vr component is, is one element of that exposure therapy because it could be like a here's a picture of something here's a, a toy or something like that so when it comes to the vr is it is it as i'm picturing like you put on a headset and then you're immersed in that kind of experience that might be otherwise fearful for you
1: yeah, absolutely. And we can still do some graduation within the virtual reality. So, you know, if we use an example of uh, fear of birds, uh, you know, our virtual reality may start with, you know, being in a park, and there's only a bird around in the distance. And then we can change scenes until that becomes a situation where, you know, there's a few birds, maybe different kinds of birds around a bin or around food or whatever, and then go all the way up into what might be a really challenging experience, which is one of my favorite favorite 360 VR videos, which is the square in Venice, that famous square in Venice, where there's Mm. just pigeons galore. And so then you end up there. And so if that's a situation that you can learn about, that you can learn that you can be surrounded by this many birds and and so unstructured and cope, and it's okay and nothing bad happened, then anything in your day-to-day life, you know, seems that little bit more manageable.
0: I'm so coming to the clinic just to go to Venice, just because I can't fly right now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> there's been a little bit of that on my end as well. I've been doing the uh, the Hawaii videos.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. All of a sudden. So there's a huge benefit for VR, obviously, putting you in a place that you can't otherwise be straight away. What about the flip side of it? Like one, not negative, but one element of VR is that it's not inherent. At least as far as I know, not inherently scalable. Like compared to say a piece of software, because you still need like a headset. You still need stuff to be out of where to put yourself in that kind of environment and it's emerging a new technology. I guess VR has been around for while, It's obviously growing in popularity as technology is. But when it comes to, say, now in this current climate with COVID and people needing to be at home, how have you adapted as the clinic to be able to provide still that cutting-edge technology experience but also some people not being able to come to the clinic?
1: Technology has obviously improved so much that, you know, it, it is something that isn't beyond the scope that some people may have in their homes or may be willing to get in their homes if they see the value in it Uh, in terms of how we've been able to manage it this time some of our sessions we can and have been doing over zoom but certainly those exposures you know we do get to the back end of that program and require that to be a face-to-face session if that client is comfortable to do it for the virtual reality but also for those real life exposures that we still do we've now started to realize that you know it is something that we do need to be able to get into the client's hands though and what we've now been doing is exploring opportunities to do that Um, I've got a couple of conversations happening with some really exciting startups to be able to yeah to be something that's more in people's homes rather than needing a clinic for and that's born out of the current situation but it's also been something we're thinking about for a while because you know not every psychologist has a VR setup in their clinic but I do still truly believe that this is where treatment is at and this is an invaluable resource for clients not just for phobias but across presentations we get a lot of inquiries around Australia around the world actually we have clients travel up interstate uh so there is demand beyond the sydney phobia clinic which warrants it to go out there to be more scalable um and thankfully there are people working at
0: that yeah it's interesting you say contact from around the world and the name for you guys obviously being sydney phobia clinic focused on because you, you, the bricks and mortar are in sydney are there any other phobia mm-hmm. clinics around the world or is this kind of quite a different thing
1: we're certainly different in the sense that it's all we do. Uh, where clinics have come up, and there have been a few that have come up in our stead, they have been kind of bolted on to pre-existing clinics just as an additional program that they've offered whether or not they've actually been able to get the numbers through to warrant the spends because there is a spend in in the vr side of things i'm not sure we've certainly helped a number of clinics um around the world to be able to enter the space so there's a couple in germany um closer there's a clinic in melbourne but i often have clinics reaching out you know we want to do this this sounds great and how do we get started um And it's exciting. It's exciting that there are other clinics that are entering the space.
0: And so to set up something like that and keep relevant and up to date with all patient needs, do you create, like, I don't know that much about VR myself, like, do you just buy these things off the shelf and then chuck it in like a piece of software? Or do you have to create your own videos and then build it? How does that all work?
1: Yeah, both. The strict VR, if we're talking pure VR, it's an animated environment, right? And so to develop that is really costly. We were doing that when we very first started up the clinic and we loved what we were producing, but it was going to be a constant investment in that development and a lot of lead time to create those environments as well. We actually found some off-the-shelf developments which were good enough to halt our development. And so we do use that. But what we've also found has been really effective, in some cases more so, are these 360 environments. So they're more mixed reality. They're videos that have been taken at a particular point in time. And then when you jump in the headset, you're sort of in that video. It's more effective than just watching a video. It definitely gets more immersion. But also we're able to play around with point of view and things like that to uh, really have the brain tricked to believe that that is the situation that we're in. And with those three hundred and sixty videos, we do all of that content ourselves, which is awesome because that means that if a, a client calls me up on a Monday and says I've got this really you know specific phobia of avocados, then by the time that they're at the exposure component of their treatment, then I can create four or five valuable environments to, to assist them with the exposure mm. there. Wow, that's cool.
0: So then thinking generally from a patient's perspective then, those that don't have access to the VR or I think just generally thinking about a phobia that they might have, what are your tips generally for someone that might have a phobia they're trying to overcome?
1: It seems really basic but the first thing would be just check in what you're actually afraid of because some clients even by the time they come to see me they've spent so long trying to figure out why they're afraid of it in terms of what happened when I was four years old that started this and they haven't checked in with what am I actually thinking is going to happen if I'm in that situation because if we don't have a clear idea of what that danger is why would we avoid it? Often it's actually I'm avoiding the the body's reaction. I don't want to feel that anxiety. But if we know that that's not dangerous as well, then sometimes we can actually get quite a long way down that path just by staying one step ahead of the irrational brain in that sense. Um, the next thing that I would say is draw that line right from... Where you are, and don't allow yourself to avoid anything additional. Because what can also happen is we start avoiding just out of habit. We start labeling ourselves as someone that can't do avocados. Um, And then, you know, we start avoiding anything based on that, even though it is actually still well within our reach to be able to do those things. But the more we avoid, the more habit gets put around uh, that avoidance, and the harder it actually is to get that gain back and you know and it's going to end up being an item for treatment you know and it didn't need to be if you kind of drawn that line so it's kind of those two things and of course intuitively anything that you can start practicing on any steps that you can take to move yourself in that right direction towards being able to do that worst case scenario is always going to be a good and valuable step.
0: No, that's some great advice. Look, to round things out then, Corey. thinking back to the Sydney Phobia Clinic, what are you guys planning? What's coming up in the future?
1: Really exciting developments, hopefully, with regards to getting more of this treatment in people's homes so that they don't have to be in Sydney or so that they can contemplate treatment at a more subclinical level or you know, be able to tap into that early intervention. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's definitely where my brain's at and what we're hoping to start doing.
0: Really looking forward to seeing how that progresses, and it's a great use of some innovative technology to solve a problem that that obviously affects many people. And I like how it's starting in at least my own backyard in Sydney, and has the potential to scale globally with some innovative thinking. So, Corey, I'll put some details of the Sydney Phobia Clinic and what you guys do in the show notes of this episode. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Wonderful. Thanks so much, Peter. Take
0: care. Thanks for listening to Talking Healthcare. My name is Peter Birch. Make sure you go check out our website for all our resources, including this podcast and the largest directory of technology solutions available to Australian healthcare practitioners today. Until next time, I'm out of here.